Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Heavy Branches Podcast. We're so excited to be back with you today. Uh, glad to see you guys are here hanging with us. And uh, Tanner, how was your week, man? My week's been good. All moved in uh, to the new apartment, still unpacking boxes, but uh, it's going well. Uh, I'm, I'm wore out, though. A little tired. My back was sore until either yesterday or two days ago from carrying stuff up three the three flights of stairs, so... <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, unfortunate that we ended up on the third floor, but uh, I'm happy that we have a place to live. It's super exciting uh, getting moved in, getting married in, what, what, like 15 days now or something? 16, I think 16. I saw. 16. So, yeah. Super exciting stuff, man. Are you nervous? No, I'm not nervous. I'm sure other people are, but I'm all right. I'm uh, The only thing I'm... Who uh, do you think's nervous? Uh, definitely Kenzie and her family. Okay. <laughs> Um, but how you doing? How you doing this week? Uh, it's been a good week. Um, I had someone come with me to LBC this week and sit in on some classes. That's uh, awesome. Your cousin Max came yeah. with me, and he's not entirely certain if he wants to do ministry or not, but it's one of the options on his radar, and so I was like, hey, man, why don't you come up with me to the school, sit in on some classes, and see what the Bible college is like, so he yeah. came up this week, and so that was that was really cool. Uh, the possibility of new students at uh, LBC to to prepare for ministry is always exciting. It's exciting whether or not they're going to go to LBC or not. Just exciting that people are considering ministry. So yeah, that was a good thing this week. And another good thing this week is the NFL season is finally finally back. Yeah, we're definitely been, excited about that. I've been waiting for so long, man. After the heartbreaking loss in the AFC Championship game, my my, well, I say my, our Cincinnati Bengals endured. Um, we had a, a group of guys over last night. Uh, it's Friday and we're recording this. You guys won't hear it till Saturday. But on Thursday night, we had a group of guys over to the house and watched the game, had a bunch of Lurros' wings and other appetizers. And very exciting for the season to be back. Especially excited that the Chiefs lost because that's good for our Bengals who are trying to get the first seed and home field advantage in the playoffs. So it's been a good week with, <laughs> with NFL football, with potential ministry guys. It doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, that's all exciting. And, you know, even if they don't end up in ministry, at least they are people that are serious about their faith. So yeah, that's that, absolutely. that's a good sign. Uh, as always, we want to remind you all to mark your calendars for some specific things coming up in uh, in the Brotherhood that you might be interested in uh, going to for uh, encouragement or learning or whatever it might be. But we want to remind you again of the Family Rally at Grissom, October 27th through the 29th. And they say uh, their, uh, I guess, announcement for it, they want, are promoting that this family rally is a weekend event designed to bring together, bring people together for fellowship, teaching, worship, and encouragement. So mark your calendars for that. If that's something you're interested in, that'll be a really good time, as they said, for fellowship with other Christians, for learning, for worshiping God, and being encouraged in your faith. And that's October 27th through 29th, right? Yes, October 27th through the 29th. The next thing I want to mention is the National Prayer Clinic, October 10th through the 12th. So that's coming up as well, and that is in Grundy, Virginia. Um, so if you're interested in that, the National Prayer Clinic, again, that's October 10th through the 12th. Then the last thing I want to mention is the Louisville Bible College semester for for 
this semester has already started, obviously. Yeah. It started uh, three, three, four weeks ago now. But I want to go ahead and just let people know about LBC, the winter and spring semester, which will either start the 8th or the 15th of January. And Louisville Bible College is, is a lot different than a lot of other school Bible Bible colleges or Bible universities, whatever. Um, not only are they extremely strong in doctrine, um, you know, we may have a little bias in <laughs> our appreciation for it because yeah. that's where we went to school, but they also are a very affordable school for anybody that, uh, you know, is looking to increase their knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. It's for their their primary goal is to train preachers and other Christian leaders for the Church of Christ, but they take you know they're willing to teach anybody. So any yeah. any any church member or any Christian that wants to grow in faith, you know, check LBC out because uh, they they offer a lot of different opportunities. Not only does the winter spring semester start the beginning of January, but they also offer uh, weekend modules throughout the year that you can f- find by contacting the school. And uh, it's, like I said, it's very affordable. Uh, nothing like, you know, a standard university, uh, much, much cheaper. If so, you, you want to audit the classes just to learn, you're not really interested in getting a full degree. Let's just say they're offering a class on Romans and you're a Bible nerd like me and you love to study the Bible in depth um, and you want to study Romans some more. It can, you can audit it for $25 a credit hour. And most of the classes are two credit hours. So for 50 bucks, you can sit in in all of the classes. And if you're auditing, you don't have to do any homework. You don't do any tests, no final exams, uh, no midterm exams. You basically just go sit in on the class and learn. You can do that in person at, at Louisville, or you can do it online over Zoom. So we've had students in the past that they weren't training for ministry, for full-time ministry, I should say, Uh they, they weren't elders, uh, they weren't deacons, they were just guys and girls who wanted to learn more about the Bible. Maybe they were preparing to teach a Bible study or a, a Sunday school class, whatever it may be, or maybe they just wanted to grow in their knowledge of the Scripture. And if that's something that would interest you for really cheap compared to other colleges and to still get a really high-quality education, I would can, I would recommend you check out LBC. Absolutely. So mark your calendars for those things. Again, Family Rally... Family Rally at Grissom, October 27th through the 29th. LBC's winter spring semester starts either the 8th or the 15th of January. And then the National Prayer Clinic is October 10th through the 12th. So from there, um, I think you wanted to mention our platforms and such. Yeah, so this week uh, we are now out on a new platform. If you didn't if you didn't see on our Facebook page, we're, we try to keep updates about the podcast on there. So if you're on Facebook, uh, search up the Heavy Branches podcast. Or if you're friends with me and Tanner, we normally share the posts on there um, to our page. So you can find it that way too. But we are now on YouTube um, because for some reason there are people out there that want to look at Tanner's beautiful face while we do our podcast. So uh, <laughs> we have that. our we have all of our episodes currently out on YouTube as well. We're also on Apple Podcasts on Spotify and Google and, Podcasts. Um, yeah, Google Podcasts. So those three, and then YouTube is where you can find us. Um, and if you want to leave a comment, you can do that on YouTube. If you're on Spotify, um, 
there is a section on Spotify where you can leave a comment or a question about the video. I, I'm, I don't use Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. I probably should have checked before we started this. I don't I don't really know if they have a section where you can leave a comment. But another place you can, if you listen on Apple or Google, is you can uh, leave a comment in our Facebook. If you have anything to say, any questions or, or comments, and a lot of you guys, I'm sure, know Tanner and I personally, so you can always just do it that way, too, if you want to give us some feedback. That and the, the email is on the Facebook page if you want to go that route as well. So those are all options. Uh, and then last thing, our upload plan, you know, we're going to try and be consistent in uploading every Saturday. So if you're wondering, you know, okay, when's the next one going to come out? It'll be out on Saturday. That is that is the goal. Uh, is to put it out. Uh, and we're going to try to start having them out Saturday morning. Yeah, Saturday morning we, or at least by noon. I scheduled the last one to come out at noon on Saturday, and then because of some some difficulties um, on the technology side, it didn't end up coming out till I think, 3.30 or 4. So I'm just going to start scheduling them to come out super early Saturday morning, and then they'll come out sometime in the morning Saturday. Yeah, okay. So with that, let's grow together as we hang in Luke chapter 3. I want to remind you all, you know, read Luke chapter 3 um, before or during or after just so that you are able to follow along actually in the scripture with us. As we continue through this, again, we want to make sure that we're in context. So I want to remind you all that last week we read the birth of Jesus. We went through many of his early years of life up to the age of 12, and now we are going to jump into the ministry of John the Baptist, um, you know, who we read about his birth, the prophecy of his birth and his birth, uh, you know, the last couple weeks. So now we're getting into his ministry. And so we're looking at Luke chapter 3. There are 38 verses in this this chapter. Less than the first two. Significantly less than the first two. And Uh, That will not be a maintained trend because Luke will go back (laughs) up. But uh, as we look at this chapter, um, I decided this week I kind of wanted to do something uh, different. I wanted to give each chapter that we do a chapter title. Okay. So as we introduce the chapter, I have decided that this chapter, a good title for it is A Path Set. And I say that for two reasons. Uh, The first reason is that John's preaching in this chapter is setting a path for Jesus for the people he's preaching to and also for us. He's he's setting the way as we get into the life of Jesus and the kingdom coming. And then also uh, the specific things that Luke points out, that's the second way that there's a path set. The specific things that Luke points out Uh, the highlights that he brings out of of this are for the readers, the Gentile readers, and it leads them to know Jesus. You know, it leads them to realizing that uh, John is fulfilling those prophecies and that Jesus is coming. And so we'll see that as we cover it. And now let's hop into the chapter. Let's get going on our key thoughts. You know, we're not reading every verse of the chapter. This one would be a little more manageable, but still our, our, our goal is to focus on the highlight, the key thoughts of the chapter. The first thing I see just in the first couple verses is Luke continuing this trend from the, f- the fourth verse of the first chapter. I'll just remind everybody what that verse says. Again, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. 
so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke is continuing to make sure that his readers understand the exact occurrences that happened throughout Jesus' life. And one of those things is the one of those things that he's making sure we understand right now is that we have assurance of when this when these things are actually happening and we know of when these things are happening because he starts writing about uh, these different governors and and leaders that were around at that time and those those are historical facts those aren't just He's making names up. These are historical facts that give us assurance of when these events were happening. So keeping in mind Luke's statement in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, Luke is giving us an abundance. He doesn't just give us one name either. He gives us an abundance of names here so we can have assurance of when these things actually happened. And I just wanted to bring that thought out because, as we know, that's one of Luke's main goals as he's writing to us as Gentiles. And again, we see that he is, he is confirming and assuring our faith. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're still focusing on that idea that faith is not built upon nothing. It's built upon truth. Yeah. And we see some of that truth right there in the first two verses. Um, also, I want to, I want us to recognize the second half of verse 2, where it says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Some may, you know, question the validity of John's of John's preaching. You know, what, what it makes John so different. And it definitely, as we read through the scriptures, isn't where he came from. It isn't where he lived, you know, he was out in the wilderness, as we see right there at the end of the the verse. What gives John's preaching validity is the fact that the word of God came to him. God is is speaking through John. So John is a prophet of God. God is speaking through him. And um, that's going to be really significant for us as we look through this chapter, especially because John isn't just preaching something um, without God's um, blessing. It's not he's not just preaching something not ordained by God. He's not just preach saying opinions. These are this is the word of God. God is speaking through him. Yeah, and and that's really important for for as we cover these things. So moving from there. Um, you know, we're going to talk about baptism, the word baptism, in a lot of different ways, and, and we're going to focus on it quite a bit. But the first thing we want to talk about is verse 3, where it says, And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I'll just repeat that. Baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So, baptism. Baptism in the scriptures, as we as we see baptism in the scriptures, is out of repentance, always out of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, we want to discuss 
the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism, and we're going to get into that. But before we get into that, I want us to realize that I want us to realize who's doing the work. So, okay. who does the work in baptism? Does John do the work? Do the people getting baptized do the work, or does God do the work in baptism? Because that's many. That's what a lot of people say when we're talking about, or when they are talking about. Okay, baptism cannot have anything to do with salvation. Mm-hmm. It can't have anything to do with the forgiveness of sins. They say, well, because it is a work. <clears throat> and they quote from other places in the New Testament, say, well, you can't be saved by works. And so, is baptism a work? If so, who is doing the work? And I think there's a key scripture that teaches us that. Yeah. Uh, Col- I, Colossians chapter 2, uh, we can read that. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it says... Having been buried with him, that is Jesus, in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all your transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, I, I want to make a, uh, a, you know, I said before we're going to talk about the key differences between John's baptism and, and the baptism that we get in Christ, Christian baptism. This is referring, this passage in Colossians is talking about Christian baptism, but in both both John's baptism and Jesus's in, in baptism in Christ, Christian baptism, both of those, the work being done is God, and God is the one doing forgive, the forgiving. Not John, not not uh, the people being baptized. You know, when we were baptized, we weren't doing the forgiving. When whoever baptized you, they're not the ones doing the work. God is the one doing the work and forgiving. The the key phrase there in in Colossians two twelve is found in verse twelve. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him, and here's the key phrase, through faith in the working of God. So if you want to say baptism is a work, sure. We 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 can I can get on board with that. Baptism's a work. But it's not a work that I'm doing to earn my salvation. It's not a work that anyone is doing to earn their salvation. It is we are placing our faith, that is our belief and our trust, in the working of God, in God's work, what Jesus has done on the cross. We are believing and trusting in that to be able to give us salvation. Mm-hmm. That, that is the work in baptism. It's not a work done by us. It's a work done by God, and we are placing our faith and trust in that. Yeah. So baptism is something for God. Let me say that again. Baptism is something for God so sins can be forgiven. Baptism is something for God so that sins can be forgiven. It is not a show for others. It is not a show for others. So... Now let's get into this thing of John's baptism versus Jesus' baptism because this isn't this isn't um, downgrading John. 
he even admits himself there is a difference um, between himself and Jesus. Certainly. And um, so what we need to remember as we think about this is Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. We're still under the old uh, covenant, uh, the old law that we find in the Old Testament, and God right now is speaking through John as a prophet. John is, is is a prophet, and God is speaking through him. And so this baptism of John's, uh, John's ministry was to prepare the Christ, um, prepare the way for Christ. And so John's baptism was a offering. It was an offering of commitment to repenting. So for those that were getting baptized by John, they were making this commitment to repentance. And that commitment to repentance was for the forgiveness of, of sins, so his baptism was the start of obedience in repentance. Mm. You know, when they when they were choosing to repent, it was the the beginning of that obedience that they were changing their life to. And we're going to get into repentance more too because yeah. we have a lot to say about that as well. But that is what John's baptism was. There are key and significant things that are different about John's baptism and Christian baptism. This forgiveness of sins that we see in John's baptism is not the same because Christ had not died yet. Christ's forgiveness of sins washes away our sins completely. This forgiveness of sins was much like Old Test- the Old Testament um, covenant where sacrifices had to be made for the forgiveness of sins, but the sins weren't washed away. They were just covered, right? Um, and that is why, you know, those those people of faith that were faithful to, to those sacrifices, and not just the tradition of it, but faithful to how God wanted them to be faithful, you know, their sins were forgiven, but they are still saved by the blood of Christ. But now we're under a new covenant. Things have changed now. The old covenant doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't work. Um, And we find Christian baptism is different because it's under that new covenant. So how is it different from, from John's baptism? Well, there are really three key differences. The first thing is that Jesus commands that Christian baptism be in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came to earth, we get we were blessed with a fuller revelation of who God is as the triune God, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We got to see the perfect image of God through his Son in the form of a man. Yes. So seeing God, understanding God more fully... We are baptized in that name, um, in, in, in the fullness of God's name. The second thing is that we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We are baptized in Christ. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but it wasn't a baptism in Christ. You weren't and, being baptized into Christ. Yeah, and so... Christian baptism is baptism into Christ, and I really like uh, what Jacob said earlier. It is uniting us with the blood of Christ. 
when when we are baptized in Christian baptism, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Paul teaches us in Romans 6, um, that when we are baptized into Christ, we are uniting ourselves with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So think about it. What happens when someone is baptized? You're dunked under the water. So you're you're upright, you're dunked under, and then you come back up, you're reenacting what Jesus did so that salvation, so that forgiveness of sins can be possible. You're uniting yourself with his death, his burial when you're under the water, and his resurrection when you come back up out of the water to live a new life. Yeah, exactly. And so the, the third thing is, not only is it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not only is it in Christ that we are baptized and we are united with him, but also we receive the promise of God's Holy Spirit. And um, so those are the three main differences. He is, Jesus is Savior and Judge. So baptism in Christ means we are washed clean, made new, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't receive God's Holy Spirit until we're washed clean. Yeah. And we are washed clean and and our sins are forgiven when we are united with Christ in baptism. That is that is Christian baptism. So baptism now is when, as, as Jacob said, when we are buried with Christ and washed by his shed blood and are raised up in his resurrection with our sins forgiven, not because of what we did. It, we didn't do anything. But because of what Jesus did, and because of all this, now we have hope and assurance of a future resurrection. So can I just bring up something else about this topic of the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism, or being baptized into Christ, which is, which is what we do today. Yeah. So in, during the time of the book of Acts, after the new covenant has been established, Jesus has, has died, buried, been raised from the dead— um, the new covenant has been established the day of Pentecost. We see now that people become a Christian and receive for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit through their baptism in the Christ. We see that that sets it on a, on a whole nother level than what John's baptism was. Mm-hmm. And we see that from Acts chapter 19. Um, I want to read to you verses 1 through 7. Uh, we see here that, well, I'll, I'll just read it rather than try to explain it because... Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. So we see Paul comes across these people, and all they they had heard of was John's baptism 
which was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul asked them, do, do you all have the Holy Spirit? Is he, is he indwelling inside of you? And they're like, we don't even know whether there is a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? And so Paul then rebaptizes them in the name of Jesus so that they can receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that goes back to, directly relates to your points you're making about the differences between John's baptism and Christian baptism or baptism into Christ is John couldn't baptize people into Christ because Christ hadn't died and been buried and raised from the dead yet. There was no saving work of Christ to unite them with in John's baptism because those events hadn't happened yet. Mm. And secondly, John could not give the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus only gave that gift to us, made that available after he ascended to the Father. Yeah, and and so John's and John's baptism was valid for the old covenant, but this goes to show it's no longer valid. Yeah. They needed to be baptized in Christ because the old covenant was gone, and this obedience to John's baptism um, was an old covenant uh, thing that God presented through John uh, as as a as one of his prophets. So uh, we wanted to emphasize that uh, for a couple reasons, but mainly so that as you're reading this, you understand that this isn't talking about baptism into Christ, because Christ hasn't died yet. But we also wanted you to understand that, um, you know, John's baptism isn't something that saves now. Yeah. We are baptized, we get baptized into Christ, and it is in Christ that we are saved because his blood uh, is, it, we are united with his blood, and that is what washes our sins away, and, and that is how we are forgiven. And Christian baptism is the place and time we are connected and united with that saving blood. It's not that the water saves us. Peter makes that clear in First Peter 3.21. It's not that the water removes the dirt from our flesh and cleanses us. It is the appeal to God for a good conscience. It's placing our belief and trust, our faith, in the working of God. Like Paul writes in Colossians. Yeah, it's nothing to do with us. It's nothing to do with the water or getting wet. It's what God has done. Uh, and this is how we put our faith and trust in him. Um, so looking back at Luke chapter 3, as we continue down, um, you know, we're, we're kind of hitting every verse right now, but that's okay. Uh, I just want to point out, I found it very interesting. You know, when we think about who is writing this, who wrote this? Luke, he's a Gentile. He's writing this book. He he didn't grow up reading the Old Testament scriptures. They were were probably not a priority for him in his household as he grew up, because he is a Greek. He he probably grew up in a in an area where they mainly focused on on uh, Greek the Greek religions at the time. Um. But even even he now a Christian, faithfully writing writing, being inspired by God and faithfully uh, writing to Gentiles, quotes Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, in in this passage, referring back to the prophecy which John is fulfilling. 
And he, you know, he quotes this passage that says, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And it goes on to con- to go on through that. But he is he is quoting that, and that is explaining John, who is the the prophet out of the crying in the wilderness, making straight a path for for our Lord. And I just I, I found it very interesting that you know we see fulfilled prophecy again. And we should be more assured by that every time we see it. We, we've been talking about it basically for three weeks now, yeah. that assured prophecy, we, we keep seeing these prophecies be fulfilled. And Luke isn't even a, a, a Jew who would, who it would be at the time super important to them because they're not Jewish. But because he's so accurate, because he's... Being, trying to be so exact, and because he cares about God and, and, and the truth, we see him doing things that show the fulfillment of prophecy. We see him quoting Old Testament passages, which um, shows that all Scripture is profitable, as we find Paul say to Timothy. Um, you know, it isn't, a lot of people like to say, we're a New Testament church. Yeah, we the Christian church is New Testament based, but that does not mean that the Old Testament isn't profitable and needed for mm-hmm. for um, for the church. Amen to that. It's so cool to see that during the, the time of Isaiah, not only did he prophesy about Jesus, about the coming Messiah, but he also prophesied about the forerunner to the coming Messiah, saying that he's going to be from crying out from the wilderness. And we see that's that's where John the Baptist is here. And he he also prophesies and predicts isn't the right word because prediction leaves some room for it to be wrong. But he foretells is the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. It was what his ministry was. He was going to make ready the way of the Lord makes his path straight. He was going to prepare the, the Israelite people for the Messiah to come after there being the 400 years of silence. So even Luke, a Gentile, he understood the importance of the Old Testament because that because he was in Christ, his faith was in Christ. Um, as we keep looking, uh, I said we would come back to repentance. As we were talking about baptism, we mentioned repentance, and I am gonna steal something from my grandfather here. I really do agree with him in his stance that this is a vanishing essential. This is an essential of being, of becoming a Christian and being a Christian that it seems like the church has, has forgotten. Mm. And we see that, we've, we see that in many different ways. Um, some of it is just a clear lack of, of, commitment to God post baptism. Some or of we, that we see baptism as the end and we made it woohoo instead of really the beginning of our Christian life, which is what it is. Some of it is in this um once saved, always saved belief. You know, there there's it, it shows itself in, in different forms. But Which is not scriptural by the way, the yes, one saved always thing, yes. just to clarify. And we may talk about that more later as well. But it is it is something disappearing. And we've been discussing, me and my grandfather, me and Jacob have discussed this several times, but we've been discussing that this essential of repentance, uh, 
it's so ignored and misunderstood. Mm. And we need to see the necessity of repentance because as we, as we see in verse 3, John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is, is a key part of this passage. It is a key part of what John's um, preaching is. It is a key part of preparing the way for Christ. So your whole th- your thing with the the phrase the vanishing essential is what you're saying by that is repentance is something that is essential to I believe you said to become a Christian and then to continue living as a Christian. So it's essential, but it's vanishing as in we're we're not seeing it in our churches today. Is that kind of where you're coming from? We're not seeing it in Christians, and it's not being taught the way it needs to be taught for people to understand really what t- repentance is. Mm. Yeah, I was I was listening to a sermon, I guess it was two or three weeks ago, and sometimes I just like to go on YouTube and find old sermons from preachers that I like and listen to them, and I heard probably the best sermon on repentance and what it is and what it isn't. And so I, I took some notes from that, and I want to share them with you guys on the podcast today. So these things that I'm going to say about repentance, I want to I want to give credit where credit is due. These aren't these aren't for me. Uh, I got these from a sermon preached by Kendall Fall, who is uh, a preacher, and I believe right now he's in Liberty. Louis- what is it? The Church of Liberty, Church of Christ, I believe. Well, I think that might have been a church he was filling in at. Oh, okay, I think okay. he. I don't. I think he's going around and doing some different filling preaching now. I believe he's in Louisiana. Oh, but he taught a class at LBC uh, back in April, um, and he's he's taught classes for Summit. So I'm sure a lot of you listening know who Kendall Fall is. But I wanted to give him the credit here for some of the material on repentance. I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you guys. So he he goes on in his sermon and he's talking about. If we want to have true biblical repentance, we need to start with having a right definition of what repentance is. Mm-hmm. So you, you just mentioned a minute ago that not only is repentance a vanishing essential, but it's vanishing from being teached and preached um, in the church. Yeah, And so I'm going to try to break this down for you the best I can. I, I, I know I won't do it as good as Kendall did, but... To the the Greek word for repentance is metaneo. And if we're going to understand what repentance truly is, I think looking at it at the in the definition of the original language it was written in is the best way to go about it. So I've heard people say that repentance is just feeling sorry. I've heard it people say repentance is stopping stop doing wrong, and start doing right. And those are some pieces of repentance. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to limit it by saying it's just that. And that's what I've, of, I've thought and believed about repentance for, for a majority of my Christian life is that it's, I was always taught growing up is when you, repentance is simply when you st- start, no, let me, let me re-say that. Stop doing wrong and start doing right. Mm-hmm. And, when we look at what true biblical repentance is, we see that it's more than that. So the Greek word, again, is metaneo, and that is a combination of two Greek words. 
the word meta, and then the word neo. And so meta, here's the definition. Um, we'll, we'll do this the best we can. It means properly with and after with. So that makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> so meta, the Greek word meta, it implies the change in something afterward. Um, it means the change that happens with and after it. So to explain this a little more, Kendall goes on in a sermon to, to talk about the Greek word metamorphosis. And a lot of us know what that is from school. Mm-hmm. Meta means, you know, to, to cha- the change that happens with and after it. And then the Greek word morphos means uh, a form, like an outward bodily form. And so you put those two words together, metamorphosis is to the change that happens in our bodily form. So you think of like a little caterpillar, right? It goes in its cocoon and it metamorphoses and it comes out of the co- the cocoon and it's something completely different. It's a it's a butterfly, right? Yep. So the metamorphosis that it went through in that cocoon was a the change that happened in the bodily form. So when you take the Greek word meta and you attach it at the front of another Greek word, it the word meta it means a change that happened with. Um, it, it looks toward what happened, what the after effect is, and it only can be defined by the context of, of what the rest of the word is. So metamorphosis is a change in form, or outwardly body form. Now metaneo, on the other hand, is, is not about changing your form. Neo is, it means, the Greek word neo means it's your mind or, or the way that you think. And so when you put those two words together to get metaneo, Repentance is the change that happens in your life as a result of or after you change the way that you think. Mm. So repentance is not just feeling sorry about something. Repentance is not just changing your behavior. It's more than just the action. It's not just changing your behavior. And also, it's not just changing the way that you think. Mm-hmm. Kendall, Kendall mentioned in the sermon that he had heard people talking about um, repentance is just when you change your mind about Jesus. So if you don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God and as the Lord, and then you change your mind and believe in him, um, that, that just simply changing your mind was repentance. It's not just changing your mind. It's not just changing your action. It is the change in your action that comes after as a result of changing your mind. And he said this quote in the sermon that I really like, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote him on it. You can never change your behavior without first changing your mind. When it comes to repentance, I'll say it again, you can never change your behavior without first changing your mind. And so when, when we're, we're on the subject of, of repentance and what repentance is, we want you to know that repentance is the change that happens in your behavior after you change your mind. And, you know, this is an extremely valuable lesson you know, Kendall preached on it, but we we see this lesson in John's preaching that not only is repentance necessary, but we also learn repentance isn't just saying sorry; it's a lifestyle change. Mm. These the the people he's preaching to, they not only need to they they don't just need to change the way they think; they need to change the way that they do things. They not only need to change the way they do things, but they need to change the way that they think 
And I said that backwards on purpose the second time because <laughs> it requires both. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're on this thing. We, we are, we've been focusing on bearing fruit, right? That's the point of this podcast. And verse 8, Peter, or not Peter, um, John is preaching, and he says, Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. I love that phrase. It, it, gives, it gives the idea of a, a continual thing. Repentance is not just something you do right before your baptism. You don't just change your mind about Jesus and then get baptized, and that's all the repenting you'll ever have to do. We bear fruit by keeping with repentance. Repentance is not just to quit sinning, um, but it is to replace that sin with goodness and kindness and righteousness. That is one of those ways that we bear fruit, if you remember back weeks ago when we were talking about bearing fruit mm-hmm. it is by by goodness and kindness and righteousness and he, we see in this in this as as John is preaching that rotten fruit is sin leading to hell if we're not bearing fruit and the only way we bear fruit is by repenting this in the way that is intended the only way we can bear fruit is if we change our mind and then allow our change of mind to change the way we act that's the only way we can bear fruit. And if we don't do that, then we are sinning, and that sin leads to hell. And so, you know, these are lessons of Christian character as we, as we go on and, and look at what John preached about. We, yeah, so when we, when we look through what John preached, there was a couple of things I wanted to point out here. So in verse 7, he, he goes up to the crowds who we learn are are Jewish people from what they'll say here in a couple verses. And we learn from Matthew's account of this, that, that some Pharisees and Sadducees are there. So he goes up to the crowds who were going there to be baptized by him. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the, the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so that every tree does not, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John is calling the Jewish crowd here to repent. And remember we said when we're looking at repentance, we have to look at the context to figure out what people are being told to repent from. So let's look here. What is John telling this Jewish crowd to repent from? Well, we see in the second half of verse 8 what he says. Do not begin, therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham for our father. A common thought among the Jewish people was that they were going to be saved. They were going to be um, ushered into the coming kingdom of God simply because they, their blood, they had a, a lineage to Abraham. Mm-hmm. That, that's why they say here, well, we have Abraham for our father. We don't, we don't need to repent. We don't need to, to join the coming kingdom in any way. We're already going to be there because of our lineage. And, and John is, is heavily condemning this and saying, no, you're not, you're not going to be saved because you're related to Abraham. Your, your Jewish lineage is not going to save you. Um, he, they have to, they're trying to use their lineage to claim membership in the coming kingdom. And John's saying, you can't do that. You have to repent. Yeah. So these things that he begins to talk about, these 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 acts, these the the aftermath of what repentance should cause, you know, 
is these are lessons of Christian character and righteousness and deeds of kindness. All of many of those or two of those things that we spoke of that are what we need to do to bear fruit. Um, so, and I just want to emphasize that the truly repentant people that actually change their mind about what sin is. So, you know, pre pre repentance, pre Christ, sin is okay. It is yeah. we we don't recognize it as offensive to God. We don't recognize it as something against God. We don't recognize it as something wrong. Post Christ, you know, hearing the gospel message, you know, true repentance, a true change of mind about sin, will lead us to ask, "What shall we do?" Mm. As these people are asking, "What shall we do?" But not only will it lead them lead you to ask that question, it will lead you to do it. We don't only see that here. That's the very same question that the Jewish crowd asked Peter on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Remember, he preached that sermon to them. God made Jesus both Lord and Christ. He validated Jesus as his son through all these miracles. And you all, you all meaning the Jewish crowd he was preaching to, crucified him. <laughs> you killed the son of God. So they're cut to the heart. Yeah. Like they, they've, Peter has changed their mind. Yep. And mm-hmm. Their mind has changed, and they are thinking, oh, no, what have we done? It's one thing to, to kill prophets. It's another thing to kill the Son of God, the Messiah. They're, think, they're thinking, we've, we've probably committed the worst sin that there is. And so the, Peter has changed their mind through this sermon that he's preached, and they ask Peter, what are we going to do? What do we do? That's the same question that's asked here in, in Luke 3 is asked in Acts chapter 2. They are beginning to repent. Their mind has changed, and now their actions need to change. Okay, what are we going to do? And that's when Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if they're going to finish their repentance, if you will, yeah, their, mind's been, their mind's been changed. If they're going to finish that out, and actually change your actions because of it, what do they do? Peter tells them, finish your repentance. You've changed your mind. Now change your actions and be baptized and accept the gospel. You'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. and You'll receive the gift of the Spirit. Yeah, and then, you know, you go on through that passage, and they are committing themselves to the Apostles' Doctrine and to uh, to the Lord's Supper and to fellowship and to prayer, and, and you know, that is how they're living out this changed life. And in their repentance, we see in, from verse 39 there in that passage that they have they have saved themselves from that perverse generation. Mm-hmm. And remember who Peter is preaching to there. It's the, the crowd of Jews. The same, probably maybe some of the same people John is preaching to here, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and other Jewish people. He's preaching to them, the kingdom is coming. You need to repent. Your Jewish lineage cannot and will not save you. You've got to repent and and to be entered into the kingdom. And so we get there to to Pentecost. The kingdom's here. The kingdom is here. The generation is there. And the, the by and large, the generation of of national Israel rejected the Messiah. They they did not accept him as Lord. They 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 were expecting a different kind of Messiah. They thought he was going to set up a an earthly an, an earthly kingdom. And to save themselves from that corrupt generation and to save themselves in the end from the wrath of God, what did they have to do? Repent, 
change of their mind that led to a change of action and be baptized in the name of Christ. Yeah, so as Christians, you know, be sure that your mind has changed and that because your mind has changed, your actions have changed. And another thing I wanted to look into from this passage in Luke 3 is John actually gives some examples of, of repentance. It's right after we see him say, you know, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then the crowds question him. They're saying, okay, what shall we do? And then he goes on this, he, t- he goes on to tell them what they should do. And, you know, he tells them, if you have two tunics, share with, with someone who doesn't have any. Mm-hmm. He said, if you have food, share with him who doesn't have any. Now, the, the tax collectors, they're told, don't collect any extra money than what you're ordered to. You know, tax collectors would often take extra money than what a person really owed, and they'd pocket that extra money for themselves. That's why people hated tax collectors in that day. Yeah. And, and he goes on to tell them, don't forcefully take money. Don't falsely accuse anyone. Instead, be content with your wages. And so what can we learn? There's a couple principles I think we can learn from these different examples of how John tells them to repent. One is we, we should generously give of what we have. The idea here is if you've got two tunics, you've got some extra clothes, share with people who are less fortunate than you and may not have some. If you have extra food, share with those who are fortunate and don't have any. Don't, don't be greedy with money. Um, generously give to those who are less fortunate. And, and boy, do we have an opportunity to do that today, even in America you know, uh, uh, it's not, we're not a third world country that is completely riddled with poverty, but I see I see people that are in need all the time, whether they're they're homeless sitting out. You know, when you pull off the interstate, uh, I'm I'm thinking now when I drive up to work. You know, we get off, I get off the interstate and turn left off the exit to go to our Chick Fil A to work. It's more times than not I see different homeless people sitting there at, at the beginning of the road and. If we're going to to continue bearing fruit with repentance, one thing, one principle we learn from what John says is repentance here is we're going to generously give out of what we have. Secondly, we're gonna we're going to lovingly sacrifice, mm-hmm. and yeah. that that kind of goes with the generously giving. But if I've got extra food, and especially if it's like some good Larosa's barbecue wings that I had with our game with the NFL game last night. I want to eat those myself. I like me some barbecue wings. And and with money, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do with money. And the last thing I'm sure a lot of people want to do is just give their money away because we're selfish at our nature and we want to use it ourselves. But if we're going to be generous, we're going to have to lovingly sacrifice of the possessions that we have to, to help others. And the last principle I, I wrote down here is to not value possessions over people. Mm. And all of these three kind of correlate, but so much today, so often we see, whether it's in the church, like among Christians or outside of Christianity, people are so consumed with and caught up with earthly possessions, getting the next, the newest piece of technology, the next nicest thing, and we consume all of our, our time, money, and energy trying to get the next coolest possession, the next best possession. And a lesson here we learn from everything John says about repentance, don't value possessions over people. There are, there are people that have physical needs around us. 
and even more important than their physical needs, there are people around us that have some deep spiritual needs. They need the gospel. Let, let's not value the possessions that we have over the needs of people. Yeah. And, um, you know, John, it, 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 this is clearly important for, for setting a path for Jesus, which means it's not only important then, but it's important now for us Repentance is super important if we want Jesus to be a part of our life. Um, if we want to be a part of that kingdom. Continuing on in Luke, I just wanted to mention this thing of verse 15 where it says, Now while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. And we're going to cover the next two passages, uh, next two verses as well, but I just wanted to talk about the fact that they've been waiting for a long time from a human perspective, at least a long time, because they've seen these prophecies in the Old Testament that they believe in, and they know God has promised a Messiah. But not only that, just bef- until right now, in this very chapter where, where John begins to preach, the, the only other break of silence that has happened in the last 400 years is when the angels came and spoke to uh, Zacharias and Mary. Mm-hmm. So until now, as a, as a nation and as a world, really, there's been silence from God for 400 years. And so John, John's preaching breaks this, this silence. And so it makes sense. They're in, this, they're in this state of expectation. And I don't know if you all have ever, I, I mean, I, everybody has been in this in a state of expectation, and sometimes you can get really anxious about it and really eager about it, and sometimes it can be really exciting, and sometimes it can be um, um, really depressing, and and so you have all these emotions with it, and sometimes you can jump the gun because you're in this state of expectation, and we kind of see here they're waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, and they kind of jump the gun because they're asking in their hearts, you know, is John the Baptist the Christ to come? Well, we see, we're going to see his answer is no. But I just wanted you all to see and understand that this is a big deal. John's sermon is a really big deal for them. Not only is he telling them to repent because the kingdom of of God is at hand, but this is this is God breaking this silence through John after 400 years and this state of expectation, you know, they are, you know, this is a big deal. Yeah. And so John answers this question as to whether he was the Christ. We see in verse 16 and 17, uh, let's read those. Uh, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. 
to thoroughly clear his his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we see this topic brought up here that is one of the most, probably one of the most disagreed on topics in the New Testament about what is this thing of, of baptism of Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire. And I'm going to do my best. We're, we're, we're both going to do our best to stay within the context here of Luke chapter 3. We've been clear from the beginning of this podcast. We never want to take scripture out of context. Um, <clears throat> and when we're interpreting it, when we're trying to figure out what does it mean, it is essential that we stay within the context. So uh, there, there's a few things here we see from this context about well, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire? Well, the first thing we see is John cannot give this baptism. We we see that in, in verse 16. Mm. As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we see whatever this thing is of baptism of Holy Spirit and fire, it can't come from John. It's got to come from the, the, one, the one is coming who is mightier than him, the one who his whole ministry is about preparing the way for. And yes, that is Christ, uh, Jesus. And another thing we see is, is this, these verses are sandwiched right in between um, a lot of judgment language. Mm. So the judgment language here is towards Jewish people and their leaders. Uh, I mentioned we learn from Matthew, the, the Gospel of Matthew. This a, a, it's a parallel account of what Luke is writing about here, that these crowds that John was preaching to, some Pharisees and Sadducees were there. So, so leaders and the, of the Jewish religion were there with other Jewish people, and this judgment language is toward them. And it's not uh, judgment that is, that is far off and far away. No, this is, this is an imminent judgment. The language we see from that is, like in verse 9, the axe is already laid at the, at the root of the tree. And then in verse 17, what we just read, the winnowing fork separates the wheat and the chaff, and, and, it, and it's an unquenchable fire. The winnowing fork is in his hand already, and he, he's going to burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. So this judgment language is, is directed toward the Jewish leaders and, their, and the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And what I mentioned earlier was, by and large, during this time, the Jewish people had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And they, they haven't quite done that yet because um, Jesus' ministry hasn't really started yet. But we see that the judgment language here is, is toward them, toward them and their leaders. And it is an imminent judgment. It is in the very new, near future because the Messiah is about to come. So he's saying, you've, you, this goes back to this thing of repentance. You, you've got to repent. Uh, the, there is a judgment coming. And we see Holy Spirit baptism mentioned two other times in the New Testament. Uh, once is at, at Pentecost, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and one is with Peter and Cornelius, uh, in, in Cornelius' house. And both of these were done by God. Remember the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It wasn't something that could be done by John. It was done by God both times to validate the message at Pentecost and to help the apostles understand Cornelius' house and all other Gentiles can be saved. And, and this fits right in with John's ministry. Um, 
throughout uh, that message, we see that we're gathered into the barn if we if we believe that message, like uh, John puts it. It's it's how we join the kingdom of God. In verse seventeen, when he says, "The winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn." Uh, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there's a separation here. The chaff is going to go into the unquenchable fire. We we know where that is. There's one fire that is unquenchable, and that's not a place you want to be. Mm-hmm. And then the wheat is going to get taken to his barn. So through that gospel message that was validated by the apostles through and through the apostles at Pentecost, and then was the apostles were told, the, the, message, gen- the, the, the Gentiles message was could validated. Be there. The message was of the gospel that the apostles were preaching, that the apostles would preach in Acts and following, is validated by God through this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so it, it's fitting with John's sermon and John's purpose because he's mentioning this because it is through that gospel message which is validated by that bas- baptism of the Holy Spirit from God, it is through that gospel message that we enter the kingdom of God, and therefore, as that verse 17 says, uh, we would be gathered at, into his barn, or we would draw into Jesus, draw close to Jesus through that message. Yeah. Um, so we see that validated at Pentecost through... The apostles are are speaking in in tongues, and what this is, this isn't some gibberish. You know, it's the apostles are speaking, and they are speaking languages that they they didn't know, real actual languages, and that is how God does the, He does the miracle to validate the message. If the the message that these apostles were preaching were from God, how would we know if it was legitimate or not? Mm-hmm. Well, it's validated through them doing that miracle through the baptism of Holy Spirit. And so this this thing of baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit is, is for the apostles to, to validate their message and to help them understand and begin the the initial start of the church, the birth of the church. And we you know when we see that when we look at the same thing later on with Cornelius's household. It is to help again the Peter to understand that the gospel message is not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. It's not just their heritage to Abraham that saves them. Yes, yeah. and that, that's something that the early church really took a while to understand. And all of that is fitting not only within that. All of that is fitting within the context of this chapter, and it's all fitting within the context of John the Baptist purpose in his ministry which was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ by preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. Absolutely. So as we continue down through the chapter we see that John gets locked up in prison by Herod. And when I read this I was just pondering and reflecting on it this week. You know, John is thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. So that brought the question to my mind. Does the American church today face persecution? Does the American church today face persecution? We see through the New Testament that there is multiple times people um, are thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. We see the apostles are martyred 
for their faith. They literally die for it. I don't think we really see that this, that kind of persecution today, at least in America. Yeah, not Th- really Through the world we do. Uh, Christians in other countries are, are heavily persecuted, but um, I just thought that might be an interesting discussion point for us is, is, what, is what kind of persecution do we see today? Yeah, and I think we probably are enduring more persecution in America as Christians now than we were, you know, 50 years ago, 25 years ago. It's, you know, culture. It's certainly growing. Culture's changing, and, you know, who knows where that will lead at the moment. But a lot of our persecution is, is comes from the emphasis uh, and support of sin in our culture, yeah. A lot of our persecution is becoming a just uh, a hatred for Christian people. I mean, we see that in, in a lot of the language used both on social media, on TV media. Uh, I mean, you see it in politics, too, now these days. You know, it's persecution isn't us, you know, burning at the stake or being thrown, being in, prison. thrown in prison or being nailed to a cross, but we do we do endure persecution. It's important that we remember that there have been many that have endured much worse persecution than we are. Yeah, it really puts it into perspective when I think about, I mean, living as a Christian is hard in today's culture as it is, and probably the worst persecution I've faced is um, losing friends over the fact that, that I'm a Christian and don't support sinful lifestyles um I've, I've lost friends over that and i'm not man i'm not gonna name names by any means but that's probably i don't know about you that's probably the worst persecution i've endured but to think that there are literally people over the course of history who have been thrown in prison for their because they were a christian who were physically harmed and beaten because they were Christian, and people who literally died for the fact that they were a Christian and they wouldn't give up on their faith even in the face of death, that really gives a new perspective to to the way we live in the culture today that is opposed to our faith. That really should that that should strengthen us and motivate us. I know it does for me because, like I said, it can be hard to live as a Christian in today's culture and. You, you can feel like you're a minority, but like you said, there have been people that have had it a lot worse than we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to add to that, you know, not only do we see that, not only should we be encouraged by the fact that there have been people that have gone through much worse and, you know, maintain their faith, but we should also see in that that, our response should not be our response to persecution should not be any different than our faith prior to persecution mm. and what i mean by that is as we see john is put in prison and as we see throughout the bible you know these different men are put into prison paul's put into prison it does not change their focus their focus still remains to preach the gospel message. Their focus still remains on Jesus. Their faith is remains intact, even though they're going through persecution. And we even learn from um, um, Paul, 
he's and and Peter writes about it as well in his letters. We should view persecution as a positive thing because we're being persecuted because of our faith in Christ. And we we have a faith that is worth being persecuted for. Yeah. There's nothing that anyone can do, even to the point of literally killing you, that if you're thinking clearly and being logical about it, there's nothing that someone could do to you that would make sense for you to renounce your faith or, or not truly, genuinely live out your faith we have a faith that's worth being persecuted for because even if they kill us, even if we're thrown in prison or if we're literally killed for our faith, we know we have a promise from God that we're going to spend an eternity in heaven with him. So our death here is not the end of everything that we know. It is the start of everything that is to come that's going to be way better than what we know here. Yeah. Continuing, uh, you know, there's a couple more things here at the end of uh, Luke chapter 3. First of all, we see these two verses where we see that while John was baptizing, Jesus was baptized. And there's some other passages uh, in the other Gospels that explain this a little more. They talk about you know this back and forth a little more thoroughly between Jesus and John. But what I want to emphasize, number one, is that Jesus was baptized— Number two, Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, not because he had sin. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, that's a thing that a lot of people wonder about. You know, why why did Jesus need to be baptized? It was not because he had sin. He yeah. didn't need forgiveness of sins, but it was to fulfill all righteousness. And um, what does that really mean? To, for him to fulfill all righteousness. Like, why was being baptized the fulfillment of all righteousness? Well, Jesus is a man. He is a fully a man. Jesus was perfect. And so Jesus lived as every man was supposed to live. Jesus was perfect in every way, completely obedient to the Father, right? And so in this baptism that Jesus participates in, Jesus is identifying himself or did identify himself with the people of God. And he's identifying himself with God um, as, as, a, as he who is perfectly obedient, who is, and, and in that he is fulfilling all righteousness. Now, because he was baptized, because Jesus was baptized, and we are to live like Christ, should make you think, you know, we should be too. Yeah. Now, it's different now because, as we discussed earlier, we're under a new covenant than, than even the one Jesus was under. But because he was perfect and was baptized, shouldn't we be baptized the new way he wants us to be? Absolutely. Um, now, that's not the only reason. Certainly not. Um you know, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We we are taught that by Jesus himself, but that just adds another element to baptism is essential. Yeah, just another reason. Um, so, uh, you know, we wanted to cover that. And then the last thing, oh, I forgot about this part. I wanted to just mention quickly that you know, through this chapter, we've seen 
uh, a sermon, basically, from John. John's preaching. And it always encourages me as, not only as a preacher, but as a Christian, when I read sermons in the Bible. And I would encourage you all to read again verses 7 through 20, because that's really where we see John preaching. Um, But I love reading sermons in the Bible because it teaches us what is most important to -hmm. preach. Um, John's focus is on the kingdom of God and on the and on Christ, and that's what our focus should be as well. It teaches us what our focus should be, and at the foundation of it, it is always Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing, as we as we finish up chapter three, the genealogy. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions. Why why do we care about a genealogy? What's what's the point? And then there's also the question of why would Luke put a genealogy in there? Yeah. Um, because what do the what do the Gentiles care about Jesus's genealogy? Why does that matter? Well, Matthew, the, you know, we see some differences here between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. Matthew goes back to Abraham. And that's to show the Jewish descendant that Jesus is and to fulfill more prophecy. But then here we see that Luke goes clear back to to Adam. And, um, you know, why would the Gentiles have cared about this? Um, it, is an, it is interesting and important to note that in Luke's accuracy, this genealogy still proves fulfillment of prophecy. Um which is interesting, but that's not the point of him of him directly writing this. There are two main reasons for the genealogy. Number one, it shows that Jesus was fully man, and going he, he it shows this by going all the way back to Adam. It connects or relates Jesus to all people. It connects him to all mankind. So there is a there is a connection to every human being ever to exist, including the people that Luke is writing to, the Gentiles that Luke is writing to. Then the second thing is it shows Jesus was also the Son of God. Okay, how does this genealogy do that? Well, not only at the end does it say the Son of God, but <clears throat> Luke already early in this book, is making an emphasis to the Gentile readers that there is only one God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Gentiles were of a nation that worshipped many gods. They, they, um, it wasn't normal for them to believe in the one true God. That was a thing that Israel did, that yeah. the Jews did. Um, but Luke, now in Christ, is emphasizing there is one God, and that God created all mankind, starting with Adam. And Jesus, while on earth, was God incarnate, the Son of God in flesh. So, being fully man and being fully God, which we can see in part through, through this genealogy, being fully man and fully God, he is Lord, and he is able to do... Um, Many one, uh, the many wonderful things that he did in his ministry, he was able to do because he's fully man and fully God. And eventually, he was able to be mankind's perfect sacrifice to God for sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the genealogy, you know, it seems like just a bunch of names, but it has an importance, and it's important to us. 
because we learn he's fully God, fully man. That's why he was able to do the things he did in his ministry, and that's why that's part of the reason that he was able to be perfect and be that perfect sacrifice for you and me and Jacob. Absolutely. So you have anything else before we wrap up? Um, No, man, I think we covered it the best we could. Uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance this week, man. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Leave a like, rate us, comment, you know, uh, contact us with questions that you might have. Don't forget to hang with us next week as we uh, hop into Luke chapter 4. As Christians, we have a wonderful covenant with God. And that covenant is, by that covenant, we are saved through Christ. With all we've learned about that covenant in Luke chapter 3, I just want to say again, may grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Go bear fruit, and so prove to be one of his disciples.